you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, good morning to each of you listening. I hope that uh, this day finds you well and healthy and safe. I'm going to begin this morning by probably making the biggest uh, or the greatest understatement of the day, simply by saying we are we're living in a time of unprecedented chaos. We are living in an unprecedented chaos that is around the world. Largely, no one is untouched by this present day and this present situation. The numbers are staggering, they're shocking, they're devastating individually and collectively to, you know, yesterday I believe in the United States alone, 36,000 deaths, 22 million people filing for unemployment and domestic violence cases on the increase. So it's all indicative of the chaos that we face. That chaos is equally matched by the chaos that even those who seem to have stepped into a new normal, who seem to have things together and are functioning fairly normally, there's still that very private chaos that they're going through each day because the decisions are harder, the relationships may be more challenging, the options are fewer. And so we range from a very personal chaos that no one hears much about, but we live, to the extreme, very public chaos that we hear about on the news throughout the day. So it is, at least for me, in 64 years, an unprecedented chaos. I'm sure the world has seen worse. I know the world has seen worse. But for our generations, this seems to be a pivotal moment. But with that, here is something else that I can add with the same certainty as the statements that I made or the facts that I quoted just now. Here is something that I can say that is equally certain. Wherever we have been, wherever you have been, in our relationship with God, this day will require that we discover a deeper place. This day will require, if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to be dynamic in it, then we're going to recognize that this chaos, this current situation is going to require that we discover something in this relationship yet undiscovered, something personal, and something even collective as a church. And as a church, it it is my hope that we find it. I truly believe that there will be very few churches who do. I believe that most churches on the first day they meet, they will be exactly the way they were. They'll be excited to see each other, but nothing will fundamentally or foundationally change. If we're going to be any different as an outcome of this moment, 
it will be because we individually and collectively as a church find something deeper in our relationship than we have right now. We absolutely already know that this is true. A diagnosis or a medical test now with unwelcome or unwanted results, when we get that kind of personal chaos that we've been getting for years, it will either drive us deeper into a relationship or cause us to reject it. A financial setback, <clears throat> excuse me, a financial setback that leaves us with more need than there is money will do the same thing. A phone call that will forever change our world, change our lives, does it already. My mother, hearing the words that her daughter had polio, and a few days <clears throat> excuse me, a few days later hearing that her dad had been killed in a car accident. And where she was before that diagnosis and where she was after that phone call became evident that she had found a deeper place. She was richer in her relationship with God than before. My dad, on the other hand, seemed to become more angry to become more resistant. The same phone calls, the same diagnosis, <clears throat> the same issues and the same circumstances. And my mother found something deeper. It was a new place from which she would then live and a place from, from which many of us, many of us would be blessed. My mother was not in many ways dynamic, but she was a force in the spirit. Because in these moments, when the news was chaotic, personally, polio then was a, a, a hideous word. And just a few days later, to be in this moment where she gets this phone call that her dad had passed away in a car accident, and all of this time she's pregnant, very pregnant with my sister just older than me, who was born only four weeks later. So here's this moment for us. This time, if we are to see the victory promised, we'll require that our relationship after will be forever changed by that which is currently happening. I'm not sure where this leaves you at this point in the message, but I hope that it begins to open you up to what he wants to say next, to what <clears throat> he needs us all to hear. I want to take this a bit beyond the coronavirus. Uh, if there were no virus, many of us would still find ourselves in places of unprecedented rocking and shaking of the world in which we live. I need to make this point because for some who will hear this, the things that are in front of them are, are somehow shadowed, I guess, by the coronavirus. But when you, if you could interview each one, they would probably tell you that that is not their greatest concern. That is not their greatest hurt. It's not their greatest struggle. So I want what he has to say 
to certainly go beyond just the current unprecedented chaos that the coronavirus is causing. These words are for those as well whose current struggle is complicated by the coronavirus, but if you removed it, their struggle would be largely the same. There were already big questions, already big situations, already big circumstances. There were already strange and strained relationships. I have personally found myself in strange meditation, strange conversations with, with God. Not unprecedented for me, but I'm realizing <clears throat> not so much because of the worldwide pandemic, but simply because of where I am like you are in your personal story, that I find myself alone a lot with God. I find myself leaning in harder to hear, searching quickly, more readily, because the uncertainty, all uncertainty, will either cause us to move away are to move toward. So this is the present reality. It is critical that we face the current chaos, be it worldwide, family-wide, or completely personal, from a deeper place in him. I want us to begin this morning in Jeremiah 31. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, I'll begin reading with verse 2. And this is what it says. I'll go ahead and read it. Jeremiah 31, verse 2, 2 and 3. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest, the Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. <clears throat> I will not be so bold as uh, to speak this over the entire world. But I am bold enough to speak this over this body, over this church, and to those who are listening uh, this, this morning. I believe we are in a Jeremiah 31.3 moment. I don't, see, I, I don't sense any confusion in that statement. We are in a Jeremiah 31.3 moment. Let me read it again. The Lord, the Lord has appeared of old unto me. <clears throat> this is Jeremiah the prophet making this statement. The Lord has appeared of old unto me saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I can say with all honesty, God has spoken those words over this place. I have loved you beyond measure. I have loved you eternally. I have loved you in an everlasting way. I have loved you. So when we look at this statement, the following one, 
we need to understand for just a moment the context in which it was spoken. <clears throat> that reference in verse 2 that the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, what Jeremiah is referring to is that those who did not suffer or die under Pharaoh who now find themselves in the wilderness are walking in grace unprecedented. Those who didn't die by Pharaoh's sword are living in a period of unprecedented grace. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So here we are then in verse 3. Jeremiah is announcing <clears throat> that the Lord has appeared to him as some pastime and was in the moment saying, what I believe God is, has announced over us. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you in unfailing ways. I have loved you in my provision given to you. I have loved you in my strength that goes before you. I have loved you as I preserved you for such a day. <coughs> Excuse me. I have loved you always <coughs> and forever. And then, therefore, because I have loved you in such a way, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. This almost makes me think of a person loving extremely a, a, a girl or a boy, a fiancé, <clears throat> in such a way that that love would draw them. Not under a mandate, not under an obligation, but the love so demonstrated would draw in the heart of the other person. And God says, I have loved you in such an extreme way, so profoundly, and all that I have shown and done by the giving of my son, <clears throat> by the giving of the Holy Spirit, I have loved you in such an eternal and everlasting way. Therefore, I have drawn you. So here then is a basic question for you and for me individually and for us collectively as a church. Has his love for us so dynamically demonstrated brought us into that therefore moment, a place of being drawn, a place of being pulled in, a place where going deeper is the evidence of his love for us, not the catastrophe around us. It's a huge question for each of us as individuals and collectively as a body. Am I allowing myself to be drawn deeper into him Am I in that place of being drawn into the rich understanding of Christ in me and me in him? Am I being drawn into that truth, Christ in me and me in Christ? Do I live with an everlasting expectation of God being profoundly found in my current story? Or do we live with him as a second thought 
or in the category of an also ran? Where do you have him? Where has his love for you put you? We're going to have to decide from which place we're going to live. From a place marginalized with great questions or from a place of deeper encounter and deeper relationship. I have one simple test that I think uh, I can share that will give us an insight into ourselves and maybe an insight into who we are as a church. It, It is this. This is the question. Do we primarily pray from a place of need or do we pray from a place of expectation? Do we find that the prophecies that have been spoken over us are found often in our prayers as statements of expectation or have we returned to prayers of need? There are so many things he doesn't want us to ask for because they are things that he wants us to already expect. This isn't a strange concept. This isn't a foreign concept. We don't want our children to come to us and say, do I have permission to get a drink of water? We want them coming, expecting, simply saying, please, would you get me a drink of water? There's a difference in that. One, they, don't, they come with an uncertainty because they don't know whether they can have it or not. The other is they come with expectation because it has been so freely given that they would come and they would make their request in an expectation rather than an uncertain question. Do we pray? Do we approach God as if we wonder whether he will or do we pray from a place of expectation. There are things he wants us to pray. Expecting. Why? Because they are already promised. They are already prophetically established. They are by revelation already shown, seen, and understood. We don't have to ask. We pray with a different expectation. Always with gratitude. Always with the sincerity of this relationship, but with expectation. When we have learned to go deeper, we will understand some of these things about the heart of God and our prayers will will become prayers of expectant faith. Praying in expectation. Yet we pray often from a need as if we don't know him and can't come and ask uh, or expect what any child would or should expect of a father. What a different life we would live. What a different authority we would carry if we prayed from expectation and not apologetically praying in need. I want us to briefly take a look at a couple of New Testament stories found in the life of Jesus as he walked with his disciples and the crowd that followed him each day. Both of these are going to be from Mark chapter 5. I'll begin reading with verse 25. And a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus 
came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. That's the first story. The second story, immediately thereafter, beginning in verse 35, actually begins prior to the former story. When Jairus comes and announces to Jesus that his daughter is sick. I would love to stop and just preach on that moment of that encounter, but that's not what he has for me to share this morning. The second story again begins in verse 35, still in Mark chapter 5. While he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. That has to be a shocking moment. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and sees the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleeps. Now, again, I'm not going to go through, and we know the story. We know what happened as this child was, was healed and completely restored. There are absolutely many, many other stories that present the same story or make the same point I want to make this morning. <clears throat> there will never be a problem for which there is not a matching possibility that originates in God. Let me say it again. There will never be a problem for which there is not a possibility. I want us to understand this. And again, I, there, there's particular reason. The problems right now, whether worldwide or personal or in a family, there is not a problem that is not matched by a possibility. God, I don't believe God will allow otherwise. And I know that's, that's a strong statement. I don't believe God will allow otherwise. Every problem matched with a possibility. Well, as, as I often do, I ask myself, how, how can I be that bold in that statement? Do our testimonies bear that out? Do we really believe those kind of words? <clears throat> so how can I be so bold? How can I be so certain because in the economy of God, all things are possible. If I don't believe that, I have to erase Scripture. I have to erase God-given, Jesus-spoken truth. Because truly, can we imagine a limit on what he can do? Mark 10, 27. And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. 
when I go back to these two stories, and I could pick dozens of others, I could find that moment in each of these stories when somebody's need was matched with God's possibility. The woman, when she heard about Jesus, even before a miracle happened, something grew in her that says, maybe there's a matching answer for the problem that I have, even when she had not yet seen the miracle. But she pursued him. She was drawn to him because of what she had heard. The ruler of the synagogue, at the moment that he heard that his daughter was dead, every possibility that could have matched the problem he felt like was removed. Before, when he came to Jesus, he's still hoping that there is a match, an answer, a possibility for the dire disease and sickness that his daughter has. But the news comes, and it would be very tempting in that moment for the, for the matching possibility to be ultimately removed. But Jesus' words restored the possibility. The problem was the same. The daughter was ill. The, even if the problem had become more severe and she was dead, Jesus' answer, just as it was to to those who came asking that he would come and visit and, and, and heal Lazarus. When Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe, a new possibility was introduced, but the man had not seen it yet. Do we find ourselves in this place that God has established over us as a body things prophetic? Yet, we haven't seen them yet. So there is a matching possibility. There's a matching promise, an assurance given, even when we haven't seen the outcome of it yet. Every problem, a possibility that comes from him. And I know huge questions arise in that moment, then why aren't certain things healed? Why aren't they restored it's because we came with a, with a predetermined possibility rather than the possibility that he had in mind. So how does this come full circle this morning? It's this. If we are not drawn because of the everlasting, eternal love of God for us, And if we are not moving into a deeper place with him when the chaos and the storm comes, then we will continue to pray from a place of need and never experience the great purpose of God that we pray from a place of expectation, the place he calls faith. Then our problems, chaos at any level, never finds the rest of the story found in Jeremiah 31 as they cried out for the loss of their children to the enemy 
which was in this story their great sorrow, their problem, their children had been taken captive. Their children had been lost. And they're crying out to, to God. And God is saying through Jeremiah, I have shown you an everlasting love. I have done it therefore so that I could draw you to me. We come then to Jeremiah 31, 16. Later in the story, thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded and they shall come again, your children shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in your end, in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. You will find the answer to the cry of your heart. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded. There is hope in thine end. Father, we come praying in that hope, praying in that certainty, knowing, Father, of the assurances that you have given us, the promises made and the prophecies established that lets us as a body, lets us as your people, individually, collectively as a body, a portion of this river we call church, to move into a deeper place with you, to move into a place because we know that you have loved us with an everlasting love, your provision over this place that I can testify of for the last 12 years has been such a remarkable provision with such supernatural outcome that we have seen both here in Leveland, Lubbock, around the area, and even around the world. We have seen the outcome of your hand moving through this body because of your provision. <clears throat> Father, you have loved us with an everlasting touch, with revelation given beyond, beyond measure, I believe. You have loved us in such extreme ways to build a body here that looks nothing like we would have anticipated, but looks like you. And we thank you, Father, but I pray now that if we will acknowledge that everlasting love that you showed us by the death of your son, his resurrection, his coming back to life and sending us the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that everlasting love, that eternal love that you have shown us would now draw us. Hearts need to be foundationally changed. not even acknowledging or talking of error, 
but hearts foundationally changed that would allow us to move deeper into this relationship with you, where our ears would be attuned to your voice, our eyes ready to see. And from all that you pour in, that we would gladly open the spigot and let that which you have so openly blessed us with flow through us to be the blessing of others that we might move in the joy you intended. Let that flow in of everlasting and eternal love flow through us into this community, into our families, that we could watch your love draw them. Father, you have made this extremely simple. You have told us in 1 John 4, how can we say we love you whom we have not seen if we don't love our brother whom we have? Father, let this moment transform us as a body. That the peace would reign in our hearts Joy would be unspeakable and full of glory. Perfect love would cast out fear. And our peace would pass understanding. Thank you, Father. And I pray blessings over all who will hear. And that they will see the love and be drawn. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.